I gotta say, I enjoy seeing you today. I missed you last week. Um, Chris and I got here early last Sunday morning, and he drove here, and I walked across the street, and and uh, we just realized it, it's probably not good for all of us to try to get here. So uh, some of you saw that uh, we said, what are we going to do? And, you know, we were thinking of putting on a one-man concert or something. And so uh, we put a little video message. Some of you saw that on our YouTube channel or by Facebook. And I got to admit, it was a little awkward talking to a camera right in front of my face for a few moments. So it's better to see your friendly faces today, and I'm glad that we're back. Uh, How many of you, this might be a little discouraging or scary, but how many of you have been sick in the last couple weeks at all? Okay, yeah. So, all right, don't breathe on each other. Maybe even on the way out, just bump each other in the elbow or something. But uh, anyway, it is good to see you because I know there have been some sicknesses going on and and though the temperature's not what we want in here today, um, I'm just grateful that we are here to gather, and we're going to have a good time looking into God's Word today. What we're going to do over the next few months is look at this idea that there is a king and a kingdom, and specifically we're talking about Jesus as the king and his kingdom, and, and I want to share some thoughts with you about that over the next couple months as we read through the New Testament together. Before, though, we jump into the Word of God today, I want to talk to you about uh, one value that Jesus has, one value that King Jesus has, and how that translates into a couple things that we can even acknowledge in this kingdom called the United States of America. Today's a special day throughout our country. A lot of churches would be celebrating today as Sanctity of Life Sunday. If you look in your worship program, there's an insert that has a cute little baby on one side, and it talks about a ministry in our community called Options Pregnancy Center. We uh, present this ministry before you each year, this Sunday, Sanctity of Life, because years ago in the 70s in our country, our kingdom, the United States of America, started making rules about what is life and when does life happen and, and abortion and things like that. A president in our country in the 80s said, you know what, let's call this day specifically Sanctity of Life Sunday to remember what our country did say about what life is, but let's honor life as a gift from God. And frankly, we should remember that every day of the year, as with any good holiday, that we should remember that life is sacred. It is a gift. There's a battle going on even in our country. There's divisions over this but that life is from God. But hope you'd take in a deep breath today and know that that is a gift from God. And there are people like Options Pregnancy Center who empower by giving life-affirming choices. People coming in with unplanned pregnancies or, or wondering what to do with this child. They go into options and they hear of different choices and choices to show them through a... Um, ultrasound that this is a life in a woman's body. And, and so I'm not going to get too political on this other than saying that we believe that life comes from God and we want to honor ministries like Options that uh, promote that throughout our community in Albany, in Corvallis as well. I'm going to pray for them in just a moment, but I also want to talk about uh, one other day on the calendar that has to do with a value that Jesus stood for, and that's tomorrow. Some of you are going to get tomorrow off, and you look at that day on the calendar, and you say, yeah, another day off. We haven't had enough of those with all the snow going on, but 
And let's look at that day for a moment. We call that Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I, I don't care your opinions on Martin Luther King Jr. necessarily, but the idea of that day that we celebrate is that God creates all life and all lives matter. So Dr. King would say, you know what, I'm going to take a stand that it does not matter the color of your skin. It matters that you are created by God and your life matters. And that still causes problems in our country. One nation under God, united, uh, not always. But today I want us to remember that that day that you maybe get off of work tomorrow or out of school, that that is a value that Jesus stood for, that life is important. doesn't matter what ethnic group you came from. doesn't matter the color of your skin, but because you have life, you are made in the image of God. And so I would hope that tomorrow that you would take time to give praise to God for life, that that would cause you to think about how you treat other lives, and hopefully you would treat life as Jesus does. So I'm going to pray. Let's pray for our nation. This week is kind of a, a big week for us as our nation as well, as we have a transition of uh, presidents coming in. But let's just pray for our nation, because there is a lot of division over what is life and what life matters and what life doesn't. But Jesus says all life matters because it's from him. And so would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, one more time, we want to acknowledge that you are the life giver. And I know there are many battles in our nation over when does life start, but we believe that you are the one who starts life and you breathe that life into us. And God, we know that there are many injustices done. And we know, God, that we have actually done much harm to life ourselves. Even the way we treat ourselves and others, uh, we have spoken badly. We have mistreated life. And we just, I confess that for myself and for this uh, church family and for our nation. God, we confess that we have not treated life with the sanctity, the sacredness that it deserves that you have given. And God, we ask that you would continue to unite our country over life, and we, that all lives matter, even in this presidential change this week. God, would you show that you are truly the king? God, would you show that you are truly the one who is ruling the greatest kingdom on earth? And God, would you help make us peacemakers? Would you help make us ones who uh, show the the power and the sanctity of life. And so we thank you for life today. Speak to us as we open your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, today as we get ready to open the word of God, what we're going to do is we are going to start this year by looking at the life of Jesus. And as you, some of you have been reading uh, if you have not got one of these yet, this is our plan, reading through the New Testament this year. Some of you have been following on our app as well, and that app's kind of been a little persnickety. But the idea is we are going to be reading through the Bible. We are reading about the life of Jesus so that we can learn about Him, some head knowledge, but ultimately we can learn from Him that it would change our hearts and change the way that we live. 
And so we have done a couple things. Like I said, we have made this plan. We've put it on our website and Facebook. We've got some copies out there at the welcome table. We're offering a class at 9. We have one going on right now at 1030. And that you can come in and say, you know what? I have questions about what I'm reading. I read this too, and I'm like, Jesus, I don't understand all of this. But there's certainly enough to understand, and I will believe you, and I will follow you. But anyway... As we do this, what we do want to do is we want to understand the king and the kingdom. We want to understand him more because if you do, this is what life is all about. This king Jesus and his kingdom that has always existed, that exists right now and will exist in greater fulfillment for all eternity. And so what we want to do is understand this king and this kingdom a little better even today. So if you have your Bibles, grab your Bible with me, if you would. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have your Bible, you forgot your Bible, grab one sitting in front of you. We're going to be on page 818, Matthew chapter 13. Here's our plan, is that each Sunday when you come here, uh, I or one of us will teach from a passage that you would be reading this next week. If you look on the back of your uh, notes today, at the very bottom of your notes, it'll say that you can join us in reading this week Matthew chapters 11 through 15. And so each week we'll, we'll give you an idea of where we're going. But what I want to do is I want to share it with you from chapter 13 today so that as you read this, you have a, a greater understanding of this Jesus that you're reading about. Let me just quickly highlight a key passage that we're going to have for this series. And it's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Look up here if you would with me. It says this, Matthew wrote that Jesus went throughout all Galilee. You can grab your study Bibles or Google this and figure out what Galilee is and where it is and why this is important. Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Go ahead and circle that in your notes, if you would, the gospel of the kingdom. You'll hear a lot about kings and kingdoms. Gospel, meaning the good news here. Proclaiming this good news of his kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. I think this is important as we learn from Jesus and about Jesus, because here's what he did. On a weekly basis, he'd gather together with a group of people like this, and he would teach. He would say, let me share with you from my head to yours, some information from God's Word. And he would do this regularly. We show up regularly to open God's Word together and to learn. But he did more than that. He would proclaim, he would preach, some of your Bibles would say, about the good news of the kingdom. He says, I want you to know God has always reigned. The Psalms say about this, God reigns and he does but he's reigning in a greater way right now. The kingdom of God is near. Let me tell you this good news. And I'm going to tell you that it's going to last for all eternity. This king's not a four-year king or an eight-year king or maybe a 40-year king. This king's lasting forever. That's good news. And he would proclaim this or preach this on a daily basis. He would share his heart and he'd say, let me just tell you, this is more than head knowledge. Let me just share from my heart this good news. But then it says this, that Jesus went out and he healed diseases. It wasn't that he just said, I've got good information. I want to give it to you, my brain to yours. Or it's not that I just want to tell you about something, get you all excited. I want to show you a glimpse of this now, and I want to bring healing to your lives. 
And this is very important. You will see this over and over that Jesus teaches and preaches and proclaims, but he's out there healing. I think real quickly the idea for us is that this is something for us to have in our head, and it's something for us to share passionately with one another, but it's something where we go out and get our hands dirty as well. Go out from here, we get this information, so that we could be the hands and the feet of Jesus even this week to help show this kingdom is alive and active right now. And so Jesus did this. This was at the core of everything he did. He did not just teach. He did not just proclaim good news, but he was involved in our lives physically. Now, this new king in this new kingdom, he is saying, has come. This is good news. And so I want to share with you some ways we can learn from Jesus and about Jesus, about his kingdom. Let's just think about this for a minute. When a king takes over for a previous king, there are different ways that you can do this. Some of you can watch how our country is going to do this this week on television. Someone who's been leading for eight years is turning it over to somebody who is going to be leading for a period of time. We try to do this in the most civil way that we can. Some countries, it's not always that way. Think of this. Go write this down, and you can look back at this later. In Matthew chapter 2, this is part of the Christmas story. Remember the Magi, they came after Jesus was born. They came to King Herod. He's employed by the Roman government to watch over the Jews. The wise men come to King Herod and said, Hey, King Herod, we have come to worship the king of the Jews, the new king of the Jews. Could you tell us where he's born? that would be offensive. Like, wait a second. If you came in to my office this week and said, you know what, we've come in to talk to uh, the new lead pastor of Willamette Community Church, I'd be saying, what? That's supposed to be me. No, we're talking about the new one. I'm like, who? <laughs> King Herod gets a little frustrated by this. He's like, oh, let me know uh, if you find him. I'd like to go worship him as well. When he finds that he was born in Bethlehem, he sends his men and he kills every child, every boy from birth to age two. He says, because no one's taken over my throne. So when Jesus comes in and says, yes, I'm the new king, that didn't go over well with everyone. In fact, some people start thinking, okay, good, we got a new king. Let's get Herod out. We want to kick the Romans out. We're good, we're good with this. So when Jesus talks about being a new king with a new kingdom, people take this in different ways. Jesus starts talking about his kingdom, and it sounds weird. Some of you read this. If not, write this down. Chapters 5 through 7, he starts giving what we call the Sermon on the Mountain about what his kingdom is like. And he says like this, Blessed are you in my kingdom if you are poor in spirit. You're actually blessed. I'm not talking about the strong. That's not the ones we're talking about for my kingdom. If you're poor in spirit, if you're broken, if you're meek and humble, you're blessed in my kingdom. Now that sounds good if you're poor in spirit and broken and humble. But if you're a power-hungry person, you're saying, wait a second, that's a weird kingdom. Jesus says, well, let me tell you who else is important in my kingdom, the the pure in heart. Let me tell you who else is blessed in my kingdom, the the peacemakers. How are you going to take over Rome with a bunch of peacemakers? Jesus says, well, those are the ones blessed in my kingdom. In fact, blessed are you if you're persecuted. 
They're like, man, this is a weird kingdom. And it was. It was an upside-down kingdom. Jesus starts talking about his kingdom, and it's unlike any kingdom you've ever heard of. It's upside-down in that he says, the blessed are the ones who are going to be persecuted. And so right away, this was a very misunderstood kingdom. It was disregarded by some saying, wait a second, I'm not buying right out of the gate what he's talking about. I'm just going to disregard this guy. I heard that he might be the new king, but just does not seem like it. You see, this king, Jesus, he was not what was expected at all. The people were saying, God's going to bring in somebody who's going to rescue the nation of Israel from Rome. He's got to be a strong political leader. He's going to be a behind kicker. Man, he's going to be good. And he comes in talking about peace and pure in heart and meek and humble. Wasn't what people expected. And so because of that, right away, some people start rejecting Jesus, saying, nah, 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 nah. I don't think he's the next king. Think about this for a minute. John the baptizer, this was the guy who came right before Jesus, and he said, hey, everybody, Jesus is coming. He's the Messiah. He's the one from God. He's going to make all things right. Now, he was talking about making all things right in our hearts, making all things right for eternity. John didn't really understand this himself, but he said, this is the one who's coming. The one who's going to take away the sins of the world. John ends up in prison years later. I want you to see what is said about this in Matthew chapter 11. You should be reading this this week. It says this, Now when John heard from prison, he's in prison, about the deeds of the Christ, the works of Jesus Christ, John sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, Are you the one who's to come, Jesus? Or shall we look for another one? I had told all these people that you were the one, but I'm in prison right now. And I would think that if I was the one who was supposed to announce your kingdom, I wouldn't be in jail. Are you really the right king? Are you the king? Or should we expect somebody else? It's a fair question. When God's not doing what you expect for him. Some of you might ask that at times. It's like, wait a second, I thought Jesus was the answer. I started following him, and then my life fell apart. And I'm like, Jesus, are you really God? Are you really my Savior? Look what it goes on to say here. It says this, and Jesus answered them, I want you to go back to John. What you hear, and tell John what you hear and see. You tell him this, that the blind receive their sight. And you tell them that the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Now, knowing from some of the prophecy, says this is exactly what the Messiah is going to look like. It doesn't say anything in there about Rome getting knocked out. Some miraculous things are happening. You go tell John, miraculous things are happening, and the poor are getting good news. Okay, we'll tell him. Imagine John hears this like, okay, this is just not what I expected. (laughs) I expected the king to make everything right in our lives. I thought he was going to make everything easier for us now. But I'm in prison. Now Matthew goes on to tell how Jesus is, uh, he is rejected by many people. 
Some are believing in him. Some are being healed and saying, yep, he's got power from God. But a lot are saying, this just isn't the guy to do what we expect. Religious leaders, they are offended by Jesus. He's just doing things way differently. You'll read about this this week. To the point that in, I think it's at the end of chapter 11 or chapter 12, that they say, you know what, we want Jesus dead. All right, he's not the right one. Get him out. It's interesting because Jesus comes to the world that he makes, to the people that he created, and they rejected him. They rejected him. They said, ah, no, 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 no. They didn't believe in him because partly he was not what they expected. Now, let's go to chapter 13. All this leads up to chapter 13. Jesus teaches in light of all this opposition. People are leaving him. People want him dead. People can't figure him out. Some are receiving him, but many are saying, nope, he he can't be the guy. Chapter 13, follow along as I read this. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Chilling out. Sounds like a good thing to do. And a great crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depths of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Verse 8, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred times, some sixty, some thirty. And Jesus from his boat says this, He who has ears, listen up, let him hear. Verse 10, then the disciples came to Jesus and said, Why do you speak to these people in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. See, Jesus saying, you know, I, I went out there and I told this story and it probably didn't make sense to anybody out there. But I'm telling them this. And here's the problem is they got such hard hearts, they just don't get it. They want their personal needs met. They want Rome kicked out. They want a better tax plan. They want better health care. They want this. I'm not going to give them that. I'm doing something else with them. So I tell them this, but because they're hard hearts, they don't get it. You, on the other hand, I'm telling you the secrets of this kingdom. Jesus is basically saying this. The kingdom is mysterious. It really is. He says it's mysterious. The kingdom of God, it wasn't coming in regular power. I mean, he was born in a manger in, in this lowly town of Bethlehem. That, that's not how that usually would come about for a new king. Kingdom of God is not seen necessarily with the human eye. It doesn't seem like he's getting along any better with Herod. Difficult, honestly, for me to preach about the kingdom of God because it's mysterious. You're going to read in chapter 13 and Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this and it's like this and it's like this and it's like that just doesn't seem like a powerful kingdom. 
There's mysteries to this. And Jesus says this, if you've got a hard heart about it, you're not going to catch it at all. If you've got a hard heart toward God and you're like, God, I'm interested in you. If you make my life easier, you're not going to get this. If you say, God, I'll follow you if you fix my marriage, you fix my finances, you fix my home, you fix my health, whatever it is, then I'll follow you. God says, listen, if you've got a hard heart about this, you're going to miss what I'm really trying to do in your life. Now go down to verse 14, if you would. Jesus says, indeed, in their case, the ones with the hard heart, he says, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled Go back at times and look at some of these prophecies from previous books in the Old Testament. Jesus quotes this, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but you'll never perceive. Catch this in verse 15. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. With their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Look at verse 15 again. Underline this. Because I don't think this is just Jesus saying, ah, the religious leaders and some people. This could be a, a heart condition for us as well. It says, the people's heart has grown dull. Here's God. His heart, compassionate towards you. Gracious towards you, abounding in love, right? This is God, faithful to you. That's his heart. The heart of God's people had become one where they were really good at showing up on the weekend. They were really good at following certain rules, but their heart was far from God. That doesn't sound like anybody you know, is it? That can be us. Man, really good at showing up. Really good at reading the Bible every day this last week. Woo! But our heart could be far from God or grow dull. You see, Jesus is this king who comes to change and free the heart. He wasn't coming to free and and change a nation from another nation necessarily. He wasn't coming just for better taxes and better health care. He says, I'm actually coming to change and to free your broken heart. And your heart that gets healed sometimes gets dull. I'm here to change that as well. And that's where you and I, every one of us, need a change of heart. Some of you need a change of heart for the very first time to trust Jesus. This is not about being good This is about our heart being changed by God, saying, God, I need you. And he says, oh, then let me change your heart. Let me forgive all your sins. The problem is, then, as we walk with the Lord, we start to get a hard heart every once in a while again. And we start becoming judgmental. That's our M.O. as Christians, right? That's our reputation because we get a hard heart. Jesus says, I'm coming to change that for you. And so here was Jesus coming in humility to serve his people, coming to change the heart of his people, to prepare us for all eternity. Here's the king, and he says, I'm not coming to destroy and say, I'm the king. He's saying, listen, yeah, I am the king, but I want to fix you. I want to 
do more than give you health care and better taxes and all of that. I want to change your heart. I want to change what's truly broken with you now and for all eternity. And this is what Jesus is doing. And the nation of Israel, they didn't get it. The religious people, they didn't get it. You're going to read in chapter 12 that they get offended because they think he's breaking a rule. And Jesus says, man, you're missing the point. You and I, we we can get caught up over rules as well and miss the point that God is really trying to change our hearts and the hearts of those around us. These people are saying, I want a government that will be better for me. Or God, I want you to make my life easier now. Isn't that what we all want? I mean, I just want to rub that magic bottle or something. God, make my life easier right now. And Jesus says, I'm not about that. I'm going to change your heart. And frankly, changing your heart and causing you to trust me more is actually going to come from making things a little more difficult in your life. Because when things are more difficult, then you'll cry out to me, and then I'll show you that I'm faithful, and again, I'm going to change your heart. Because of this, the people did not get Jesus. Go to verse 18, if you would. Jesus starts to explain what he had shared out on the boat. He said, hear then the parable of the sower. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom again, the word of the kingdom And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. I want to share with you today in this passage that, or this story that Jesus tells, I want to share with you some conditions of the heart. You're going to see your own heart represented in these as well, but I want to show you the conditions of the heart that Jesus talks about. And the first one that he's referring to is the hardened heart, one that is not receptive. We've probably all been there. Maybe you're there today, hardened heart, not receptive to what God would say. I started thinking, what causes a hardened heart? Sometimes it's religion. Actually, sometimes it's just going through the motions, not questioning why you're doing this, not thinking why you're doing this, just going through the motions. That can create a hardened heart. It does. For some of you, difficulties can create a hardened heart. You say, God, I prayed for healing, and I didn't get it. And I went through some really tough times. And for some of you, that could create a hardened heart. Some of you have faced abuses, injustices. That can cause a hardened heart. These are all things that can cause hardened hearts. And here's what happens when your heart is hardened toward God and anything he would have to say. When your heart is hardened, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy you. Write this passage down. John chapter 10, verse 10. You should memorize this one. It's short. It's brief. It's powerful, though, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Whenever your heart is hardened, you come in on a Sunday morning. You're just like, I'm just here. All right? That's a hardened heart. Whatever seed would be planted in your heart, the enemy says, I'll just take it. You're not using that. There's an enemy who wants to take every good thing that God would want to plant in your heart. You see, we encounter troubles in life. We're faced with a choice. Do we say, okay, God, somehow you're using this for good and I will trust you? 
That's a receptive heart. Or do we just get mad at God? You're not making my life easy. And when your heart is hard, the enemy just says, you know what, let me just remove this good seed that was planted in your heart. You see, let me give you some help on this, something that I struggle with as well. Before you respond to trials, ask God to give you an open heart. Before you respond to trials, and maybe it's even then before the trial comes, God, would you help me? I just know that difficulty is going to come, right? Would you help me to have an open heart to this, that you are somehow allowing this? Because if you don't ask God for an open heart on this, you are going to have a hardened heart about this. Before you read the Bible, some of you have been reading, great. Some of you are going to say, you know what, I need to start doing that. Before you read, don't just plow into this and say, okay, it says I can read this in four minutes. Let's go. Why don't you ask God to open your heart and reveal something to you? Because if not, you can read anything. And in four minutes, the enemy says, hardened heart, let me just take that out. I'm glad that you spent four minutes wasting your time there, but I'll just take that seed before it grows any root in your heart. That's a hardened heart, not asking God for that. Frankly, before you come to church on a Sunday, before you go to a community group, before you go to a Bible study, before you go to a place where God could speak to you, which is frankly anywhere, you should be asking, God, would you open my heart and speak to me today? But how many times do we do that? Just like, okay, I'm ready for something, maybe. All right, I just, there's a good football game. I can't wait to get home and watch it. When our heart is not receptive to God, it becomes hard. When it's hard, the enemy says, I'll just take that. And the seed is not planted in our heart. Jesus was talking about this. If you aren't careful, your heart will go, grow dull. Man, I could go on that forever, and I think I struggle with that because... I, I can go there too. I can, on a Sunday morning, okay, prepare, prepare, do all of this. And I have to stop every Sunday morning and say, wait a second, God. You have to prepare the hearts of these people or I'm just wasting a lot of my energy. You have to prepare my heart, God, or else I'm just blowing a lot of hot air, which would be nice on a cold day like today. But this is something I have to pray about as well. God, prepare my heart. Prepare the hearts of these people. Here's the key is to prepare your heart. Write this down, to prepare your heart. There's so many things battling against us, but you're going to have to prepare your heart or your heart will be hard and the message of God's kingdom will not soak in. Go to verse 20 if you would. Jesus then said this, as for what was sown on rocky ground, let me talk about this one. He says, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when, go ahead and underline these words, tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Jesus says, let me talk to you about another heart condition. It's this, the lack of roots to endure. The lack of roots to endure. Tough times certainly are going to come. What are you going to fall back on? 
I'm just going to fall back on my good old religion. Or I'm going to fall back on, I'm just going to plow through this myself. Whatever it is. No, God, I need you to grow some roots in me so that I can weather this storm. Let me show you a passage in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Some of our guys went through a Bible study of Colossians, and we looked at this passage. And it says this, Just as you have received Christ, that's a good thing, but now continue in Him. Continue in Him. Rooted in Him. Built up in Him. This is what you have to do. You don't just say, okay, Jesus, I need you, and now just leave me alone until I die. No, you continue in him. You continue to learn from him. You continue to learn about him. You continue to ask him for help, and he will grow your roots so that you can be built up. I'm not great at this as a homeowner. This last spring, I planted uh, some grass seed, and I had some dirt, and I spread out that dirt, put the grass seed down, and I kind of ran out of dirt. I guess I could have bought some more dirt, but I just thought, you know what, I'll just kind of skim and on the gravel, and maybe a little bit of dirt's going to, you know, it'll help. I, so I threw the grass seed on the gravel with a little bit of dirt. It was beautiful for a while. Just grass all over until the sun came, and it found out which ones had roots and which ones didn't. The ones in the gravel were like, we're dying. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Not a good homeowner. I knew you needed roots, but I just thought maybe it could grow on some hard pan gravel. Didn't work. There's a big dead spot now in my yard. It had no roots. I'm going to have to work on that this spring. You know what? That, you, that happens with you and I, doesn't it? You say, I'm going to stop growing. I don't need to go to that Bible study. I don't need to read my Bible. I've actually read through the New Testament ten times before. I think I'm good. I'll tell you, if you stop growing your roots, you will stop growing. Jesus says that's not good for you. The key here is to seek. Write this word down, seek growth. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. You keep seeking growth. This is what you need. Seek growth so that you would trust God. God, I don't know what you've got in store for me, but it seems like the older I get, the tougher life gets. Which probably means my roots need to be stronger in the Lord. That I need to have more faith in Him. That it's like, you know what? Now that I'm growing up, man, whoa. I need those roots. You need those roots. Seek growth. Jesus says, unless you seek this, you're going to, the tribulations, the persecutions will rise and, and you won't make it. Go to verse 22. He says, then as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, underline those words, cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Let me give you a third condition of the heart, and it's this, consumed by the world, consumed by the world. Here we are growing up, and there's all these problems in the world that consume us, and sometimes they seem to be growing faster than we do. 
And when you and I, we, we seek pleasures and conveniences and things like this, these are all choices. Okay, this is what I want, this is what I want. Before long, we get overwhelmed. Like, how did I get suffocated by all these things in life? I was watching TV the other day, and there was a commercial. I don't know what it was for. Next time I see it, I'll go, oh, there it is. But they said something like, what would it be like if every, you could give every person in your family X amount of dollars every year for the rest of their life? And when I first heard this, I turned my head and I was like, wow, how cool would that be? All right, you know, maybe it was lottery or something, but I could give every person in my family this much money for every year for the rest of their life. I thought, woo, I would have no worries. They would be set, right? And I was like, wait a second. That, that's not the answer. Write this down if you would. I, I went to this proverb as I heard this. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. The writer of the Proverbs says this, Lord, don't give me too much riches. Because if you do, I'm going to forget you. I'm just, that's just the fact. And I thought about that with my... I thought, I don't think I want to give my family this much riches because the temptation is, God, we got this taken care of. We don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need to grow in you. Look how much money I have. Whoom! Suffocated by the cares of life. Now that proverb also goes on to say, God, don't make me too poor because if you do... I'm going to steal and dishonor your name, so that's not good either. God, just just help me to be content with what I have. But the answer is not just more money. Because then we forget forget God. We've probably all been there at times. I'm off the hook. I think I'm good for a while. God, I don't need you. I, I got this one. The cares of life are going to come. The deceitfulness of riches will come. Write this passage down. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, let us throw off everything that hinders. And the sin that so easily entangles, throw that off. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's where we fix our eyes. Jesus says, if you're not careful, you're going to get a hard heart from riches, from the cares of this world, and it will actually suffocate you. That's not where life is. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You get rid of these distractions. Throw them off is what the writer of Hebrews says. Here's the key to remove the distractions from your heart, to remove them. As you start reflecting on your own life, there are certain things that you need to remove from your life, from your heart that cause distractions. So that you can pursue Jesus. If you don't remove these things, there's a hard heart waiting to happen. There's suffocation that's waiting to happen. Remove these obstacles. Here's the situation. Our heart, just a massive idol factory. Just, I want this, I want this, I want this is going to make me happy. This is the, the meaning of life. Remove these things. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's go to verse 23, and he finishes up by saying this. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. 
He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, a hundred times what was sown. Some cases, 60, sometimes 30. That's still great production. Jesus talks about this condition of the heart as one that is receptive and pliable. Receptive and pliable. He says, this is the heart that I want from you. This is the heart that I'm trying to change and produce in all of you. A heart that is receptive and pliable. One that I could mold and shape. The idea is if you say, nah, I don't need to read the Bible. I, I kind of know what happens. Jesus, he died. I'm forgiven. One day I'm going to heaven. Nah, 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 nah. That's not pliable. That's not receptive. That's arrogant. I got to tell you, I'm going to read Matthew 11 through 15 this week. I read it actually, a lot of it last week. But I keep reading it. I was reading something in chapter 11 a couple days ago, and I'm like, I never caught Jesus. You just said something to me on this. You're gentle and humble in heart. That's who you are. I've always caught the other things. I, I missed that part of you in that. And he says, Scott, thanks. You're being receptive. Because you're not usually that way. You're usually an arrogant little sucker who thinks he's got it figured out. But thanks for taking the time and letting me speak to your heart. And when our heart is like this, and as we read that this year, what is God is going to do is the seeds that are planted, whether it's from me sharing to you, or Bible studies, or when you read, or when you hear music on the radio, and you're like, whoa, whoa. God is going to produce a great fruit in your life. This is the kingdom coming to fruition in your ordinary life, in my ordinary life. Woo! He's going to do this in us. The key here is that we depend on Jesus. Write this passage down, if you would. John 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm the livestock. You're a branch that comes off of me. And if you stay connected to me, man, we're going to do good things. I'm going to produce my life through you. It's going to be good. Your life's going to be full of joy and peace and love and patience and kindness and goodness. And it's going to be everything you actually want because I'm changing your heart. But honestly, you got to know this, that apart from me, you can do nothing. So the key is that you would remain, that you would remain connected through faith. Say, Jesus, I don't honestly get it. Your kingdom's mysterious. But I'm telling you, I need you. I mean, I wish there was a physical thing that I could plug into the wall and see the red light turning green and going, okay, I'm getting more charged up. This is a mystery. It's a secret. But when we say, Jesus, would you produce your life in me? I need you. He's like, got it taken care of. And when these difficulties come, and when the trials of life come, I'm going to grow you when good things are going to happen for you, for the people around you, for the world around you. So what are we going to do with this? I would hope that we would be receptive. When people heard this, they were like, 
You're still not what I want. I want you to fix my finances now. I want you to kick the Romans out now. I want you to fix my health care problem right now. Jesus said, I'm not doing that right now. I want to change your heart. You with me on this one? And he's asking us that question today. You with me on this? I want to change your heart. I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads for a moment and reflect. Because one of the things I was praying for you (laughs) is I was praying, God, help us be receptive to this. Not my words, but that they would be receptive to what you're saying. Because there are so many distractions for us. And there's so many pressures for us that it's hard to trust you. But God, I would ask that as what was shared here today, as people were reading your word, as they were hearing this, as they were writing this down, as they were considering other passages, as they were making commitments to you about reading, God, as these seeds are planted, I ask that you would help them to go down deep into each of our hearts that you would produce a great crop in every single one of us. Some of us need to turn to you for the very first time. Some people just need to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Some people, I imagine today, are saying, Jesus, I have ignored you for so long. I've rejected you. I've resisted you. Jesus says, come on back. I love you. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would continue to shape our hearts. That this year you would do that. That as we read, as we interact with each other and with your word, that the the word would not fall on deaf ears or blind eyes or hard hearts. But that we would receive it and that you would do a great work in us and through us. And not just for us, but for the people that we live next to, the people that we work with, the people that we go to school with, the people in this community. God, work mightily in us and through us for your glory and for the sake of others. And we commit all this to you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.